What's going on, guys? I want to thank you for joining me for another episode of the podcast, The Lauren Bronstein Show. This episode is going to be a little bit different as we're changing the formatting a little bit. I finally got an intro, so after this little talk session, you'll hear a little bit of an intro followed by us getting into the episode. I hope you guys like it. If you don't like the intro, let me know what you think or how I can change it. Always looking to improve, and your feedback is vital to my growth. So thank you, guys, and let's get into it. Good afternoon, goblins and ghouls. In this episode, we talk about esports. Now, I'm very excited about this episode because esports is something that I hold near and dear to my heart. That could be because I'm a nerd. It could be because I spent most of my life locked in a basement playing video games. Regardless, it's something that I'm really excited is coming to the mainstream because it's going to allow for a lot of opportunities for people that are incredibly talented or creative, but never got the same acknowledgement that they would have gotten had they have been in a regulated industry like film or television. They were playing video games. They were making content with video game characters. So it was very niche. But they were incredible storytellers. They, they were able to take such limited technology, uh, like World of Warcraft, for example. World of Warcraft is a very popular online role-playing game. Many people have heard of it. Maybe you not have played it, but you've probably heard of it. You have very limited animations that are... De uh, developed for the game, the programmed within the game, so you can only do so many things with your character. You make them dance, you can make them walk, you can make them run, but that's about it. But people have been so talented, They've what they've done is they've created programs that implement the characters behind essentially a green screen that you can create, and you can choose to move any of the character's joints that you wish. People have taken this a step further and have now made their own movies, full movies, 20 minutes or longer, with all of these World of Warcraft characters in place of actors it's not necessarily always inclined towards the World of Warcraft story, but what they're doing is they've taken technology that essentially allows them to have a sim-like actor or character that they can completely simulate out of nothing and cause it to look fearful or frightened or happy or angry, and they develop stories around the, these emotions and the characters, almost like stop motion in a computer. So these, are, these, are, and these, aren't, these aren't developers, these aren't you know, for lack of a better word, they're not uh, directors, writers, they're just kids. Kids that are enjoying content creation and they've picked up steam in their small communities. But because they're not television or because they're not photographers or actual directors, they're not picked up mainstream. But I'm hoping bridging the gap between esports and just the video game culture as a whole will allow these content creators to get you know, the notoriety they deserve. They work very hard, their stories are incredibly original, and in my opinion, there's no difference between that or Lord of the Rings or any other nerd culture stuff there is just for whatever reason video games have always been held as the ugly stepchild you know like no one really liked video games they're there we acknowledge it we just don't like it as much so i think this esports is really going to bring it to the forefront to say oh what well, there's no difference between video games and any other business but let's get into some of my thoughts about esports particularly so esports if you don't know is short for electronic sports it's slowly branding itself like any other sporting event the overwatch league is a prime example of this Larger-than-life screens project players and commentators to a stadium of 450 people. The pros walk out among the fans, much like the players in the NBA. As the progression of esports continues, it will become increasingly difficult to separate sports from esports. Your immediate reaction would be to assume that esports has to contain, or that it's sports rather, just sports in general, has to contain a specific level of physical action in order for it to be considered a sport. But chess, 
darts, and billiards are also considered sports. So I'd like to focus less on the physiological aspects of the sport and more on the actionable market value and the attention that sports and esports bring. Now, something that's very similar uh, between sports and esports is the journey that the player has to get through when climbing up the ranks of the esports ladder or climbing up the ranks of a sports ladder. Like any athlete, esports, they start from the bottom. Anybody can publish to a stream, to YouTube, or to Twitch TV, but getting viewers and gaining traction is what's difficult. Anybody can send in their footage of them shooting hoops to the NBA. Doesn't mean they're going to get picked up. You need to gain traction. You need to get notoriety. People start saying, you got to check out this player. This guy does not miss a three-pointer. Every three-point, whether he shoots it with his eyes closed behind his back, he always gets it in the net. That gains you traction. The same thing applies for these gamers. These gamers can publish stuff online to YouTube and post themselves playing video games, but if they don't get the traction, they're not going to get picked up like an esports player. So what you need to do is you need to prove your worth. You can prove your worth by being the best of the best. Unlike most YouTube or Instagram celebrities, these traits and merits have to go beyond just funny or attractiveness. These people need to push the limits to perform at the top tier of the game of their choice in order to just, just to remotely get noticed. There are, there are many people playing quote-unquote top tier of a certain game. You need to be the best of the best of the best to really get noticed. Now for the uninitiated, Twitch TV is a streaming platform that allows content creators and streamers to accept donations and communicate with their followers via chat log. This method of streaming has been proven successful by streamers such as Soda Poppin and PewDiePie. Now, Soda Poppin and PewDiePie are both very well-known, maybe somewhat infamous streamers. These guys stream and make a lot of money through donations. People watch their stream, watch them playing video games, they communicate to them. And while they're communicating, they can donate just for whatever reason, whether they want to just show their support, they want them to increase their equipment because maybe their microphone's not the best, and they want to hear them more clear. They could say, here's 100 bucks, I'm donating to you, try to get a better mic next time. That, or they could just say, we just love what you do. We appreciate that you're giving us free content, that you're entertaining us. Here's some money. We appreciate what you do. A lot of these people, uh, PewDiePie and Soda Poppin specifically, have made, I want to go as far as saying millions of dollars, millions with an M. Uh, I know Soda Poppin has had donations upwards of $10,000. I know uh, PewDiePie, he's loaded. He's one of the richest, if not the richest, video game star in the world. He makes millions and millions probably every month on uh, on between Twitch and YouTube and his other affiliate platforms, PewDiePie has absolutely monetized the video game industry. And while they may have controversial moments, controversial or not, they're still talking about him and he's still making money. So, you know, it comes to the territory of video games being controversial a little bit. So you have to understand that, that is part of part of what he's doing. Like it's not it's not him just being a, a shock jock for the sake of it. It comes with the territory of being a gamer. So many streamers have made the transition from streaming to being employed through a league thanks to the attention they receive on websites like Twitch TV or YouTube. Now, if enough people start watching a player, the leagues start noticing. And if the player proves to be the best among the best, more often than not, they are recruited by a league. Esports has already proven its worth by surpassing sporting events, such as the World Series, the NCAA Finals, and I'm not joking, the National Basketball Association Finals, the NBA Finals. Are you kidding me? Does that mean esports is more popular than the NBA? How how much longer are we going to deny that this is something that, that should not be taken lightly? Esports has obviously proven its worth. This was back in 2013 that it beat the NBA Finals. League of Legends, I think, had 8.5 million concurrent viewers at one time. 
Like, that's insane. 18,000 people attended the event, not to mention all the people watching online. So, so it's crazy. I believe, um, I believe the NBA had 26.3 million, which was beaten because 32 million is more than 26 million. So that, that goes to show you how much more successful video games can bring compared to basketball. Basketball has a following, but I feel like sports are the sports scene is, is slowly decaying to a degree. It has a very cult-like following, but it used to be more just mainstream that anybody, even if you don't like sports, you would go to a sports bar with your friends and you would watch because your friends are watching it. I feel like that's dying. I feel like the people that are still hard fans will always watch sports. Sports will never go anywhere. But the people that aren't interested in sports are even less interested in sports now. Before, they would tolerate it because that's all they, there was. Now there's more options, Instagram and other stuff. So they're going to tolerate sports less. So the casual sports fans, the not-so-interested sports fans, the wives, the husbands that don't watch sports while their significant others do, they're going to tune out a little bit more now. And that's why I think these numbers are dropping a little bit more. So in recent months, uh, there have been an explosion of a couple new games that are very open-world concept games. Games like Fortnite and PUBG. You've probably heard of them. They've exploded on the scene and gave new way to streamers like this gentleman named Ninja. Ninja is becoming, very quickly actually, one of the biggest and most well-known voices for the esports community. Ninja recently had an event in Las Vegas that brought in 650,000. 650,000 concurrent viewers. Do you understand how much that is? It's over half a million. So I think at this point it's fair to say that these individuals are worth their weight in gold. He has broken all streaming records, I believe he's broken all Twitch records for the most current viewers in one sitting. It, it was a live streaming event in Vegas. You know, these, these people are superstars, obviously, and it, they require very little effort to bring so many people on. Like, unlike, uh, uh, while, while they're always playing and they're training, yes, unlike a UFC star, Conor McGregor, for example, trains for half a year for a certain fight. He does that fight that maybe lasts less than an hour. And then he's, he's spent another half a year training for the next fight. Like, maybe he'll go back, but, you know, there's only you only have so many fights in you versus these players, they can just keep going again and again and again and again. And even when they're skirmishing, which is when they're practicing, they can still record that. They can live stream that. While, to a degree, some of the fighters, UFC fighters or sports athletes, share their workout techniques. There's a lot of secrecy in it because they don't want the other team to find out what they're doing. That somewhat applies to video games, but not so much in the same sense because you're still limited to the rules and logistics of the program of the video game. So while you can come up with your own strategies, there's only so much you can do without actually hacking the game. So just because of how video games are created and how they exist and, and the ecosystem that video games uh, exist around, there's a lot more transparency and involvement from the, from the people as well as the players. And that's why it's such a huge community. With, with, with sports, it's very armchair sports where you you think you know all this thing you think you know everything you know you, you, you want to call the shots of what the person's doing or what they're gonna do next or why they screwed up that pass or that goal or why the goal they screwed up but you don't really know you're not a professional that's why you're not a coach because if you were a coach you'd know better than they know and it's easier to always call the shots when you're an armchair coach but that lack of involvement from sports is uh is something that people would really want and it's very the bond between the players and the community in a video game industry is what sports have always wanted, but they can't have because it's just too, it's dangerous or it's just too, it's too unlikely because the technology doesn't allow it. Everybody wants to be best friends with their favorite player in a sports game, but you can't be. 
But thanks to esports, you can follow them on Twitter. You can see their day-to-day through Instagram. You can watch their vlogs. That's almost like being friends with them. That's pretty close. And sports athletes have even taken note of this, and now they're on Instagram and Twitter and all this other stuff. It's not that sports athletes did this first. This is the video game community's territory. Remember that. Anything online, it all, it all, it all is part of the video game community. Before there was the internet, there were like video games, really. I mean, video games were more mainstream before the internet was mainstream. The internet may have came out first. Maybe I believe NASA was using the internet as way back as like maybe the '60s. They had like one giant supercomputer that was the size of a football stadium. But that's not exi- that, you know that's not realistic. So Donkey Kong and video games and Atari and Dig Dug and uh, Atari and uh, Pong, I believe it's called Pong. Those were the first games. That was the first mainstream esports, for lack of a better word. They developed communities where people would go against each other and try to beat each other's high score. Street Fighter has a huge community for this. The point I'm trying to get across is don't think that esports is something that's new. It's existed for a very, very long time. You're just catching wind of it. The people that were in the esports community this whole time were very niche. They were very shy because, it would, you know, it's, it coexists amongst a nerdy, geeky mentality, whatever. I don't care about the label nonsense, but you know what it is. Those people that play video games, myself included, are generally more shut in or communicate very scarcely. And when we do it, we would do it online with pseudonyms, with character names. And that's why it developed sort of underground, not because we were even shunned out by sports people or other people it's just that the people that generally gravitate to video games are generally more introverted so that allowed us to communicate in our introverted way which technology made easier and that's why it's a very niche and difficult to penetrate ecosystem it's not that it's difficult because they don't allow newcomers in it's just there's a lot of lingo since the video game community has been around for so long we've developed our own lingo like lol lol roflocopter silly things like that it's not meant to be offensive, it's not to exclude people. Once again, the longer you are in a niche community, the things just start to slowly evolve and develop, like language, things like that, memes, little things like that all develop. So understand that if you're trying, this isn't something that's new. Don't look at esports saying this is a new thing, it's the hottest new thing, we got to jump on it. It's always existed, it's just mainstream now. So if you can look at it with those eyes, it's going to put you miles ahead of the competition because I know a lot of people listening to this thinks esports is new just because they read about it in the mainstream paper. It's always existed. Like It's very old. Esports is old. Anything that has a competitive aspect to it often will have a community around it of people that are constantly trying to one-up each other. And video games are no different than that. That's exactly what a sports sport is. That's exactly what video games are. It's the same thing. Similar to sporting events, there's press for video games and esports. Let me give you an example. If you've heard of the H3H3 podcast with, I believe, Etha and Halia Klein... It's, uh, they're YouTubers, I believe. They're internet personalities, very large following online. They have a podcast now, and on their podcast a couple days ago was the Twitch streamer Ninja. And Ninja was explaining how he is just getting more and more growth as time goes on. People are starting to pick up and accept esports as a mainstream thing now. It's being identified and recognized as a sport. And something that I actually learned about as I was writing this podcast slash this blog is actually... The United States now actually accepts esports as a regulated sport. When the Overwatch League first started, which is one of the largest esport uh, communities or events that's currently happening, it's currently going on right now, the very first season of the Overwatch League, which is a first-person shooter created by Blizzard Entertainment, which is one of the largest video game developers in the world. They create World of Warcraft, Starcraft, Overwatch, Diablo, many games as well. They have created their own tournament where they play one of their games and the best of the best compete against each other for money. 
And there are many different teams from all over the world. A lot of the players so happen to be Korean, even if they're playing for teams like London or Toronto. But while the players from Korea were needing to come to the United States and to stay in the United States for an extended period of time while they were recording and while they were playing and while they were part of this tournament, they needed visas to live here legally. That process took a very long time. They were waiting for so long to get visas. And as soon as the community, the video game community, caught wind of it, there seemed to be quite a backlash. That said, how come it's so easy often for, for the lack of a better word, for most athletes from other countries, whether they're coming to the Olympics or somewhere else, they're often, it's very, they're quick. The government's fairly quick to give them a citizenship to come here to play because we understand the importance. That is their talent and, and showing us their talent and playing against other teams. So how come suddenly the government doesn't see the value in esports? So after there was a bit of an outcry, the government took wind of this and said, okay. So they expedited the process to allow these people to get visas to move into the country to start the Overwatch League. I, I mean, it's hard to say why exactly that happened, but I would have to say, fundamentally, the government just acknowledged that esports, like anything else, is a cash cow. It has the potential to make money. It has the potential to put more money into our the American economy, the Canadian economy, wherever the event is being held. That money goes back to the government. It goes back to building the city, to raising the reputation for the city, whatever city this event is being held in. It has sponsors, looks good on the community. It employs people. You see what I'm saying? It's all benefits. So if you look at it from that perspective, like, it, like it's any other community event, it's, it's, all, it's all positive. It's all net positive. There's nothing negative about this. Now, something that I'm really excited about, and this is going to have to be for the second part of this podcast, because this is a lot of stuff I want to talk about. I don't want to overwhelm you guys with information. The second part is going to be a little bit more controversial, as we're actually going to talk a little bit more about the marketing of esports and the, the PR, the public relation disaster that has been the Overwatch League. If you, if you know about what I'm talking about, I'm sure you'll find the next episode interesting. If you don't know what I'm talking about, the Overwatch League being one of the first major eSport events has had a lot of controversies with it, both from the organizational side as well as the player's side. You have to understand, number one, when there's any organization that has that many people involved and that many moving pieces, especially speaking to the public almost daily and hourly, there's going to be a couple issues that arise. That's just, that's the nature of the beast. The second thing, and I don't want to go too into it for this podcast, I'm hoping to save this for my second one, is they're gamers. Like, what, what do you expect? You know, they, they say you can take a what is it you can take a monkey out of the jungle but it's still a monkey like it's true you know you can't change who they are and forcing someone to change for the sake of sponsors is one of the worst pr things you can do i know you think it looks good it looks good on sponsors and pepsi's got to justify why someone's saying something but better they should justify it and have complete transparency than have someone do a complete 180 on who they normally are if seth rogan came on the scene talking about Christianity, how Christianity is the greatest thing, and now he's against abortions, and people can say, wait a minute, this is the same guy that was just smoking cross joints, doing Pineapple Express, showing his ass on these, these comedy movies. Like, my point is, if you're not, if, if, if you do a 180, if you flip-flop on your message, that was my cat coming in, if you flip-flop on your message, people aren't going to respect you, and they're not going to take you seriously. So, this is for my second episode of the podcast. I'm going to be ending this shortly, because I feel like it's going to be dragging on. I don't know your attention span, but... These people, these gamers are trying to be held to such high standards because they have sponsors now. And it's like, look, you knew what you were getting into before you sponsored them. You sponsored them for reasons because they have pull and they have acknowledgement from other people. It doesn't matter what they say. What they say is not necessarily a representation of NVIDIA. If you have one gamer that's the best gamer at Super Mario in the world and this person is incredibly racist, I, I wouldn't... I mean, I, maybe, maybe I'm giving... The consumers too much credit but i don't think i am i think the consumer is smart enough to understand 
that just because someone is sponsored by a company and that person says something racist or sexist or something else, I wouldn't say, well, because Wonder Bread was plastered on that person's thing, that means that Wonder Bread is now racist. People say that online. I know they say it online, but I still think they eat Wonder Bread. I still think that just because someone says they're boycotting a company isn't necessarily true. People talk about boycotting all the time. They talk about how angry they are at companies and PR and all that stuff, but they're all saying it from iPhones which use child slave labor and don't even allow people to kill themselves at the factory because of how uh, unlivable the conditions are in their Taiwanese slave labor factories. Like, that's Apple. We know that's Apple, but we don't do anything about it. When we say that we need freedom and we need equality from our Apple device. So we're being a little bit of a hypocrite about this. We're we're speaking from soapboxes just so we can get praise from our allies. We don't really mean it because we're not actually doing anything about it. So I'd rather just... I'd rather you not say anything about how offended you are if you're not actually going to do anything to change that because saying it makes you even worse in my opinion to say you're offended not do anything about it is is far worse let me give you an example i believe everything should be made into a joke because i believe only then does does it lose its power i believe nazis i believe everything should be made into a joke because if you don't joke about it you're giving it too much power that it's serious and that's scary I believe that if you can joke about it, you can still take it seriously, but you also know that it's it's so silly. It's it's not to be it's not it's just not it can't be taken that seriously. Like Nazism, and I'm getting a little bit off topic here, but just it'll, it'll come back, I promise. Nazism hating somebody because of the color of their skin, like does that not is that not the silliest thing you have ever heard in your entire life? You can't take that seriously. If you genuinely take somebody seriously because they hate the color of somebody else's skin, then you're just as crazy as they are. If someone says to me, I hate you because of the color of your skin, I'll say, okay. And then in my mind, I will think, you are out of your fucking mind. You are so far out of your mind. The fact that you were able to string together a sentence to let me know that you hated me because of the color of my skin was enough of a shock to me. I'm, I'm surprised that you have even able to communicate on a human level if you're that thick, that you hate someone because of the color of their skin. So... You know, if someone's racist, sexist, it's not its not for us to be offended by them. Look at them as a wounded animal. See, this, this person's broken. They don't get it. They're wounded. It's like a limping its like a limping antelope. This isn't a person filled with hate. This is a person that's they don't get it. They're disconnected. They don't understand what life's about. So rather than shying away from that and saying, I'm offended and you should lose your sponsor, say, oh, this person's just uneducated. Oh, my goodness. I'm so grateful and I'm so lucky that I was raised in a tolerant household that I could spot when someone's uneducated and ignorant. I'm so grateful for that. And, and because I have this compassion and this knowledge and this gratitude, I can look at that hateful individual and just realize that they're lost in life and realize that they may try to hurt other people with their silly words, but ideally they're, they're mostly hurting themselves. They're a very sad and tortured individual. And that's why they're, they're expressing their anger and, and their vitriol hate towards other people. You could say they're racist and they have other intentions, yada, yada, yada. I genuinely believe they cry themselves to sleep every night. And that's why we need to focus less on what people are saying and more how they're acting. And this will, I'm going to end it here because it's getting a little bit heavy. And this is a whole other podcast in itself. This, the reason why I'm talking about this is there's been a lot of controversy around this, these specific topics and esports. So I want you to stay tuned for part two, because part two is going to be all about PR, public relations, marketing, esports, and the people involved with these sports and their sponsors. There's a lot of controversy, things from, and I'm just going to, I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger. Racist remarks, sexist remarks, remarks about homophobia, and the worst of all is pedophilia. So if, if any of these things 
interest you, not that they interest you like that, but if you're interested in how a company can recover after having an association with things as dark as some of those things, it's possible to recover. But it requires being transparent and it requires being honest about it. So I'm going to talk about how you can recover from something as dark as that, meaning you were sponsoring someone and then it turned out that they were a pedophile. And that, that, could, that could break your brand. But there's a way to handle it respectfully. There's a way to handle it that won't, it, it won't throw them under the bus in a way that you're just trying to make your hands clean. It, it'll do it in a respectful way where you say, this is not for us to be involved. This is for the police to handle. We're, we're, we're as shocked as you are. We no longer wish to do business with them, but we're not going to start slinging mud just because you guys want to sling mud. And that's, I feel, very important in saving a brand and saving face when dealing with something as dark as that. But that's for episode two of the eSports podcast. I hope you guys enjoy this. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, Lauren Bronstein out.